Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.35 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 17th day of July, 2023. This is episode 756 of Bitcoin, and I'm feeling just a little bit better. You know, Friday's show was, God, I am. I have to apologize for that pile of junk. Uh, anesthesia, it lasts with you a lot longer than, than you think it does, honestly. It really, really kind of permeates every shred of your being. And it makes, it just makes like just simple thought much more difficult. And it lasts so much longer than, oh, I feel better. I've come out of it. You know, I'm, I'm walking around. I'm doing things. I'm going to the store. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> no. Uh, so Friday's show, much apologies for how crappy that one was, but we've got, we've got better, we've got better news today. I, well, is it better? Let's find out. There's a lot of people that are bitching and moaning about lightning lately again. And I don't think it has anything to do directly with this news story. But if you have if you haven't noticed, there's a lot of people that are going back to the old, the old way of thinking about lightning, that it's a centralized system, that it is its own coin. It, it's, the, it's the same narrative from 2018. And it's... I, I'm not exactly sure what fired it up, but if you if you've you know if you're looking on social media, especially on Noster, uh, you are probably seeing the same thing that I'm seeing, and that is a lot of chatter about what about Lightning itself, about how it sucks. There's and there's a lot of ancillary pickup of that of that narrative. There's a lot of people that that are saying, you know, they're they're reacting to the narrative by saying yeah, defending it or saying that they use it every day and that there's nothing wrong with it. So the narrative is actually that tells me that the narrative that's being put out there about lightning being centralized and it being its own coin is having its usual effect on the weak-minded. Stop, it's a Jedi mind trick. Stop stop listening to it. Stop listening to it. Binance isn't listening to it, although Binance clearly has other problems, but I I guess their problems are not so big and insurmountable that they couldn't finalize the integration of the Lightning Network on Binance, the platform. And here it is from BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine, Binance implements Lightning Network support for Bitcoin transactions. Oh, yay. That'll make everything better. Binance, one of the world's leading cryptocurrency exchanges, has successfully integrated Bitcoin onto the Lightning Network, enabling faster and more efficient transactions as of today. Users can now deposit and withdraw Bitcoin using the Lightning Network on the Binance platform. The integration of Binance uh, of Bitcoin on the Lightning Network marks a significant milestone for Binance as it aims to enhance the speed and scalability 
of Bitcoin transactions. By leveraging the Lightning Network, Binance aims to address the scalability challenges associated with the Bitcoin network, allowing users to enjoy faster and cheaper transactions. Previously, Binance has experienced issues in high-fee environments, most recently highlighted when Bitcoin inscriptions caused a surge in fees. With the Lightning Network integration, Binance users can now take advantage of the Lightning Network's off-chain payment channels to send and receive Bitcoin transactions with reduced fees and faster settlement times. This development comes just as Lightning is being integrated into other exchange platforms, essentially becoming an exception or rather an expectation for quick and easy Bitcoin transactions. Just last week, a European exchange named Coinfinity also integrated the Lightning Network with plans for further integration down the road. According to the official announcement by Binance, users can find their assigned Bitcoin deposit addresses on the Lightning Network within the deposit crypto page on the platform. The exchange has also provided a frequently asked question section to guide users on how to deposit Bitcoin using the Lightning Network. The integration of Lightning for Bitcoin transactions is expected to bring tangible benefits to Binance users, offering them a faster and more cost-effective way to engage with the leading cryptocurrency. Okay, that's just great. Is Binance going to survive all this? And I'm not talking about the integration of the Lightning Network. I'm talking about the SEC lawsuit against their ass because that doesn't look good. That that doesn't look good at all. And I I just find it I find it weird that they're integrating lightning now after they're being sued by the SEC and a whole shit ton of and then committed a whole shit ton of layoffs at Binance. It just it I don't know. It seems odd, but I guess later is better than never. I eh, who knows, man. Who knows? Now, uh, spot Bitcoin ETF. Uh, hold on for a second. I want to see something here. Uh, do, do, do. No, no, that's not what I was looking for. I want to do this one. I want to do this one first. All right. <clears throat> Bitcoinnews.com. Spot Bitcoin ETF filings progress to a new phase in the United States. This is Bitcoinnews.com. Uh, Alex Larry is writing it. The race for spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund in the United States enters a new phase because as of July the 14th, the Securities and Exchange Commission formally acknowledged the applications filed by multiple companies. These acknowledgments, which have been made available on the SEC's website, mark a noteworthy achievement in the Bitcoin industry's efforts to obtain approval for a spot Bitcoin ETF. The SEC has acknowledged applications from BlackRock, Fidelity, Wisdom, Tree Funds, Galaxy Digital, Invesco US, Vanek, and others. Moreover, with acknowledgement being reported for BlackRock today, earlier acknowledgements were reported by regulatory authorities for companies such as ARK Investments and Bitwise. Although these acknowledgements do not indicate whether these applications will be approved or rejected, It's noteworthy to mention the significant advancement they bring about in the application process and a favorable stride ahead. The SEC will now move on a deliberation period, which is projected to span, Jesus, 240 days. (laughs) 240 days. Oh, my God. Throughout this period, the regulatory entity possesses the power to make determinations regarding the funds, which may involve granting approval 
rejecting or deferring a decision as indicated by analysts. The acknowledgement also creates an avenue for the general public to submit comments on the applications. The SEC's past reluctance in granting approval for a spot Bitcoin ETF has caused frustration amongst numerous market participants. Nevertheless, the recent acknowledgments of these applications show that the SEC is actively assessing the possibilities presented by these investment products. Now, I'm bringing you that before this other spot news because it's important to note that they have acknowledged the receipt of all these applications. All right. Instead of just sitting on their hands, doing nothing, it's they, they've actually moved to the next phase. Although that phase could last up to damn near close to a year, which, you know, is God, that's a long that's a long time to wait. But here we are now. Here we go. This one. Protection against the financial system requires more than a spot Bitcoin ETF. This is written by David Wow. BitcoinMagazine.com. A few weeks ago, BlackRock and other major financial firms filed for permission to offer spot Bitcoin exchange-traded funds. Though the United States Securities and Exchange Commission stated that these initial filings were inadequate, forcing the firms to refile, many investors believe that they will eventually be approved, creating the first such products on the market. These new financial instruments would allow institutional and retail investors to access exposure to Bitcoin's price without having to purchase actual Bitcoin. God, I have fun staying poor. On the surface, this would be a major win for Bitcoin adoption because it will become easier for financial advisors, previously hesitant or unable to enter the market, to assist clients with a form of Bitcoin allocation. Banks and other traditional financial players will also use the spot ETF to increase their exposures, which may increase Bitcoin's exchange rate with the dollar. For families and individuals, however, shares of a Bitcoin product through spot ETFs are not a substitute for holding Bitcoin in self-custody. Ultimately, Bitcoin ETF products still exist within the traditional financial system and do not offer complete protection from market, government, or compliance risks. As such, market forces can affect the ETF issuers and governments can enact and enforce regulations by decree that devalue or debase the consumer's assets. In contrast, holding real Bitcoin allows individuals to access a digital bearer asset outside of control of governments and traditional financial institutions. Though it introduces new risks associated with private key management, every diversified portfolio should have a real Bitcoin allocation regardless of any additional allocation to a Bitcoin ETF. As investors seek to diversify, to spread risk, and protect themselves from geopolitical and market shocks, there is no substitute for Bitcoin in self-custody. For years, financial advisors have dutifully allocated clients' wealth across a variety of traditional assets like stocks, bonds, real estate, insurance. In aggregate, they have performed reasonably well. Vanguard analysts have calculated that advisors can increase the value of client portfolios by up to 3% by simply ensuring that they follow best practices rather than trying to chase returns. Advisors benefit from a typical 1% annual fee on assets under management, yet good financial advisors are more than outsourced portfolio allocators who recommend the right blend of assets to match a client's goals and risk profile. 
They work with clients to ensure protection for my wide range of outcomes and ensure wealth preservation through retirement and for future generations. Some advisors ignore the reality that allocations entirely within the traditional financial system are exposed to risk stemming from the boom and bust financial market cycle. As a result, sometimes clients must risk being unable to retire or change jobs until the market picks up again, placing them at significant lifestyle setbacks. Proper diversification requires liquid assets outside of the traditional financial system for generations. The best asset for doing so was physical gold. In 2009, however, Satoshi Nakamoto released the next best bearer asset, which is Bitcoin, and with it, a novel system with a credibly fixed monetary policy. Now, anyone can use Bitcoin for free. Rather, now anyone can use Bitcoin to free up liquidity during a crisis. The potential spot Bitcoin ETF would provide benefits, such as exposure to Bitcoin's price movements, some diversification from traditional financial markets, and ease of purchase. Despite these advantages, it falters in saleability, a key feature of a diversified portfolio. Bitcoin operates on a monetary network that runs 24 hours a day, 365 days per year. Individuals and institutions can use it to instantly transfer value without third-party approval. They can also sell Bitcoin for fiat currencies at any time via centralized exchanges or peer-to-peer. In contrast, individuals and institutions can only exchange shares of a spot Bitcoin ETF for fiat liquidity when financial markets are open, which, for retail investors, is 9.30 a.m. to 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on weekdays, excluding holidays. Exchanges can also halt trading at will or because they receive a regulatory order further limiting the saleability of ETF shares. Now, in another scenario, if a government attempts to restrict the acquisition of Bitcoin, it might be able to seize the asset manager's Bitcoin or order it to liquidate the ETF. Holding real Bitcoin yourself by managing your own private keys offers exit ability from a system with strong capital controls rather than suffering the consequences of an unpredictable future. Owning shares of a Bitcoin product is not equivalent to directly holding Bitcoin itself. Spot Bitcoin ETFs would remain tethered to the conventional financial system. This has some mild advantages, but ultimately this limits the ability of Bitcoin to be used as a shield against the risk inherent in the traditional financial system. Including actual Bitcoin is essential to a diversified portfolio, even if that portfolio already has a spot Bitcoin ETF position. All right, so that's the end of the article. So David is right uh in, in this particular in this particular case he's absolutely right it's not enough to say oh well i own bitcoin and then the further question would be is it actual bitcoin and if, if the answer is no it's a bitcoin etf then that's not good enough and for retail there's really no reason in the world at all to not be able to hold a certain amount of bitcoin at your with your own hands with your own private keys yes i get the fact that there's going to be an incredible percentage of retail customers who don't want to have anything to do with holding their own private keys but also remember this the majority of the people that are active in traditional financial markets are boomers and gen x 
Gen Z millennials and getting down in, in, into the bull, you know, the, the younger cohort of generations, not so much, right? So what's, what's going to, and I hate to use this term, who got, who's going to time out first, the boomers. And as they time out the people, and when I mean time out, I literally mean die. And, and I, I, I don't like that. It's, it's a very negative connotation, but it's a fact of life that we all die. And the boomers are, are set to start dying, you know, like in mass because that they were born in mass. Therefore they will, what they'll, they'll die in mass. But along with them goes that sentiment that they, as an individual are not worthy or are too dumb to be able to manage their own private wealth. And that is a lie. That's what we were told. That's what even the millennials are being told that, but they ain't got no money to invest anyway, right? Or at least not at, not at scale, not like Gen X, not like the boomers, right? But what they are good at is digital properties. They understand digital things. They understand a digital life. They know it better than boomers. They know it better than Gen Xers, and I'm a Gen Xer. And even I get it. But still, there's a lot of people in my generation that are more than happy with their financial management. And that is being outsourced to, I don't know, Charles Schwab, whatever, right? Whatever retail level, you know, buffoonery is going on out there. They're, they're more than fine with that. Even though, like it said in this article, oh, you're doing good to get 3%. Well, that doesn't even, that doesn't match inflation whatsoever, at least not over the last two and a half years. I mean, it was like 8% last year. You, you're the, now the proud owner of 5% less of your money. Congratulations. And you were with Vanguard. I'm just, I'm just saying, man, 3% doesn't cut it anymore. And it's not going to cut it for a very long time. I'm not sure if it's ever going to cut it again. I mean, we may just be dealing with a, a persistent inflation that goes on for decades. We don't know. The only way that they're going to get inflation, I don't know, kill the inflation is essentially they're going to have to start printing money again. But that's only a short-term fix for inflation because that those chickens eventually come home to roost. The chickens before, they're roosting right now. And we can kill them all by setting the money printer to go burr again, but more chickens will roost later on. It'll just be a continual roosting of chickens. The chickens will roost until everybody holds their own Bitcoin. I'm just I'm just saying. But if if it if it turns out <clears throat> that more and more millennials, more and more Gen Z, more and more digital natives start holding their own keys at the retail level for something like Bitcoin, then they can be, if they want to allocate into a 401k, if they want to do that, hey, that's fine. But the true diversification here is not just having exposure to the Bitcoin price action. The true diversification going forward now is holding your own keys and having some amount of Bitcoin represented by those private keys. If you don't have any Bitcoin right now, you really do have to get off zero. In case you're wondering, in case you're new to Bitcoin, in case you're new to this podcast, you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. I, we, I, maybe we don't say that enough. You can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. You can buy $5 worth of Bitcoin on Cash App. <clears throat> you can buy 100 You can buy 1000 You can buy one whole Bitcoin. You can buy 10 
but you don't you don't have to buy one whole bitcoin you can buy a fraction of a bitcoin okay so if if you can keep that in mind and you do so if you hold that on your private key you're actually going to be fully diversified no matter what other assets you have back behind you so now let's move on to where people don't like any kind of bitcoin or crypto whatsoever and that would be australia Helen Parts, Cointelegraph, National Australian Bank, joins crypto exchange boycott and cites scams. Well, of course, that's what they're going to do. Another major bank in Australia has said it will block certain cryptocurrency platforms citing high levels of scam risk in the industry. Today, July the 17th, National Australia Bank, or the NAB, announced a new set of measures to protect customers from fraud as part of its bank-wide scam strategy. Alongside halting millions of payments between March and July 2023, NAB will also introduce blocks on some cryptocurrency platforms to help protect consumers from scams. The National Australia Bank did not specify the names of the cryptocurrency exchanges expected to face blocks from the bank. NAB Executive for Group Investigations and Fraud, Chris Sheehan, only mentioned that the new blocks will affect high-risk platforms where scams are more prevalent. Quote, these scammers are part of organized transnational crime groups. Increasingly, we're seeing them use cryptocurrency platforms to send stolen funds quickly and often overseas. Oh my God, the horror. According to local reports, Sheehan hinted that NAB's crypto blocks could affect the Binance crypto exchange. Quote, our approach is going to be consistent with the rest of the industry, the executive reportedly said. Over the past few months, other large Australian banks, including Westpac and Commonwealth Bank, have also reportedly blocked payments to Binance. NAB and Binance did did not immediately respond to a request for comment in the announcement. NAB continued to reiterate the growing narrative by local banks alleging that nearly 50% of scam funds reported in Australia are linked to crypto. Uh, Quote, more broadly, cryptocurrency scams are one of the fastest growing security threats with Australians losing more than $221 million to them last year. NBA's statement read, actually, I think they meant NAB's. The authority also argued that 40% of Australians are extremely willing for payments to be slower slower if they were better protected from scammers. <gasps> oh my God. Oh my God, think of that. Australians are extremely willing for payments to be slower if they are better protected from scammers. What does that sound like? That sounds like Bitcoin layer one, doesn't it? And all the people who are saying nobody wants slow payments. I call bullshit. It's not that you want slow payments. It's that you're willing to deal with slow payments. Bitcoin layer one right now is actually not all that slow. But again, that was a whole, remember, do you remember that narrative? Oh, it's Bitcoin's too slow. Yeah, but the trade-off is ultimate security. And here we are with traditional financial TradFi guy saying the exact same thing when it comes to, to traditional finance. The customers would be more willing for a slower payment process if they had better security. And that's exactly what Bitcoin Layer 1 provides. Now, this isn't going to stop. The deplatforming will continue until retail holds their own Bitcoin. Either, other than that, it's just one more bank shooting themselves in the foot. It's going to be a complete bloodbath. When? I don't know. But a lot of these banks are going to find themselves unable to service 
their constituency, for lack of a better term, because as the boomers and Gen Xers start timing out and the people that are willing to hold digital assets on their own come up, then a lot of those guys won't be in as much need for banks. And unless these banks switch their tune, they are putting themselves on the extinction block. They don't know it right now because they think they're going to win. They think government's going to come to their aid. They think that somehow or another, they're going to be able to, I don't know, stop Bitcoin or whatever, but they can't. And that's the part that they don't realize. It's like say it's like looking up in the sky at the asteroid saying, oh, it'll, it'll be okay. We can stop it. No, you can't. And instead of figuring out a way to protect yourself from impact, you're just walking around doing whatever it is that you do. Australia Bank is not going to survive. Bank of America won't survive unless they start changing their tune. So take that into whatever context you need to take it in. Uh, Judge in Coinbase case expresses a skepticism over the SEC's prior S1 approval. Now, I brought this up before, but uh, Andre Bogansky is going to illuminate a little bit further from Decrypt. The judge overseeing Coinbase's high-stakes legal battle with the Securities and Exchange Commission peppered the agency's counsel with questions about how Coinbase was allowed to go public. During a pre-motion hearing on Thursday, U.S. District Judge Catherine Polka-Fila explored whether any significance should be given to the lack of concerns raised by the SEC itself when Coinbase filed its S-1 according to court documents. Companies have to file an S-1 with the SEC before an initial public offering where the firm's shares become available to the investing public. Coinbase made its debut on the NASDAQ in April of 2021 after its S-1 form was declared effective. Two years later, the SEC is suing Coinbase, claiming its business runs afoul of securities laws. Judge Falia acknowledged that she may be reading too much into the issuance of the S-1, but said in Coinbase's case, the filing may hold some significance. Quote, it's not crazy <clears throat> in the Falia parlance for Coinbase to think that they were doing what was okay because it was exactly what you let them do when they issued the S-1, Judge Falia said. The SEC's counsel argued that Judge Falia's focus on the S-1 is misplaced and that the filing has little to do with the legality or agency support of Coinbase's business. Quote, simply because the SEC allowed a company to go public does not mean that the SEC is blessing the underlying business or the underlying business structure or saying that the underlying business structure is not in violation of the law, SEC counsel said. Oh, for fuck's sake. Additionally, the SEC council member said no evidence has been put forth in the case showing the agency looked at specific assets being listed on the exchange or gave Coinbase comfort that this would not later be found to be a security. Coinbase's S-1 was one of several topics that came up during the case's first hearing, such as the so-called major questions doctrine and the Howey test. Still, Folia's comments provide insight into her initial thoughts as the case takes shape. Judge Folia said that the SEC stance on the S-1 warrants some degree of skepticism, adding that in her view, Coinbase could have been forewarned that maybe someday this could be a problem with its business. 
The SEC should have had some knowledge about whether Coinbase's business conflicted with securities laws when the exchange's S-1 was issued, Falia said. Quote, I'm not saying that the commission should be omniscient at the time it's evaluating a registration statement and that it should know all things. But I would have thought the commission was doing diligence into what Coinbase was doing, Falia said. A member of Coinbase's legal counsel, Stephen Pierkin, or Pekin, who previously served as co-director of the SEC's enforcement division, weighed in on the exchange's S-1 toward the hearing's tail end. He referenced the SEC's decision to not review registration statements for companies the agency has concerns about in the past, including those that focus on both cannabis and betting, otherwise known as gambling. And he addressed Judge Folia's skepticism toward the SEC's stance, saying it's an instinct worth listening to, quote, you reflected some discomfort with the idea that the commission could authorize Coinbase's S-1 and allow it to become public, but your gut suggests to you that there seems to be something wrong with that idea, and that's of no legal import. To the extent that you have some core discomfort with the idea that this counts for nothing, we think in- your instinct is correct. Uh, that's an int- that's a very weird and honestly kind of conflicting statement from this guy at the very last, but be that as it may, I think she's right. I think when somebody is submitting an S-1 application for an initial public offering, that the SEC, the whole reason behind an S-1 is for them to dive in to the structure of the company and find out if this shit is above board. Because if they are here, as they say they are here, the SEC, to protect investors, specifically, most likely, retail investors, then should that not be part of the entire structure in investigating for approval of an S-1 so that a company can release their shares to the public. Because once you release your shares to the public and the public buys them, now the public has exposure to everything that you do. I don't think the SEC at this point is a competent agency at all. How hard was that? How hard was it to say, okay, you filed an S-1, Hey, Steve, get your team, go down to their Coinbase and start digging through files and do all the shit that you do and make sure that if they start releasing their shares, that there's not going to be something that we come back, you know, uh, two years later and sue them for so that we don't put the retail investors at risk. Because the SEC has done just that. They've put all retail uh, investors in Coinbase at risk. Because the price action dove when they got sued. Of course, now it's kind of recovered, but who knows what the hell is going to happen. But my point is, is that I agree wholeheartedly with the judge. Or the SEC either knew or should have known that Coinbase was dealing with illegal securities at the time of the S-1 filing. And they should have disapproved the S-1 filing until such time that all unregistered securities were cleared off of their books and everything was cleaned up. But they didn't do that. Ah, fuck them. Let's run the numbers. Futures and commodities that got West Texas Intermediate down one and a half points to $74.31 a barrel. Brent North Sea crude down one and a half points as well 
to $78.64. Natural gas is down 0.87% to $2.51 per thousand. Gasoline is down 0.89% to $2.62 a gallon. Gold down a third. Silver down a half. Platinum is up a quarter. Copper is up two and a quarter. And no, ooh, I made, that was a mistake. See, don't listen to me. Copper is down two and a quarter points. Palladium, however, is up one and one quarter point. Uh, agriculture is mostly down, but kind of, you know, mo- a lot, very mixed. Lumber is up over a point. Wheat is down almost a point. Soybeans are up a half. The biggest winner today is going to be cotton, 1.35% to the upside. Biggest loser today is coffee, 3.23% to the downside. I got live cattle down 0.44%. Lean hogs are down three quarters of a point. Feeder cattle are up 0.08%. Now, I looked, pausing here to talk about livestock a little bit. Feeder cattle is what you buy if you're a rancher and you don't have a cow-calf operation, which means that you're not, you don't have cows and you're not putting a bull in there with them to get them pregnant and dropping your own calves, the only way that you're going to have cows for sale at a sale barn to go to slaughter is if you buy feeder cattle. Right, and then you put them on your land, and then you you do what they say. You you feed them, you feed them until they are ready to go to the sale barn. Those prices have been rising precipitously, which means <clears throat> which means that the rancher, him or herself, is paying a lot more per animal to put cattle to get them ready to slaughter, and then they have to. They have to basically treat them medically. They got to make sure that they're safe. They got to do all this shit for a year or in some cases, depending on how they're being fed well over a year. That's a lot of time on the ground. And those prices have been rising precipitously over what? Five years, five years, live cattle, same thing. It's the exact same thing, except that it's not rising as fast as feeder cattle, which means they're paying more. The ranchers are paying more on the front end. And they're getting less on the back end, which further squeezes the United States cattle rancher. Go shake your rancher's hand and buy their product. Please, for the love of God, we need our ranchers. Now, indices. Oh, we're all saved. Everything's in the green. Dow is up a quarter of a point. S&P is up a third of a point. NASDAQ is up two thirds of a point. And the S&P mini is up three quarters of a point. Real money kind of struggling today, $30,138.70. That's after a measly quarter of a million Bitcoin exchange hands over the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of 0.59 BTC, a median transaction value of 10 cents, according to bitinfocharts.com. Wow. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 22 seconds. Uh, we've got 0.1 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 15.6 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period with a 4.49% increase in hash rate. We're 399 exa hashes per second. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator is sitting at 6.9 United States pennies. That tells you what the rest of the field is doing. $584.6 billion of market cap is four. 0.52% of gold's market cap. You can get 15.6 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,431,680.6 
of and 4,872.8 of those are in the Lightning Network, now valued at $146.6 million. That's quite a decrease over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We have 16,345 nodes. We are running 69,269 payment channels that we know about, and 71.2% of all that's being run over Tor. Mempools have filled up quite a bit. We're sitting at about 140 blocks carrying 273,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear. High priority transactions going for 13 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priorities going for 12 and everything under 3.21 Satoshis per V-byte being purged from mempools around the world. Now, hash rate, according to mempool.space, is at 368 0.4 exahashes per second. So do with that what you will. I am back out of the charts. Nowhere to be found in the top 50 or at least the top 25 that I can see. However, I did get some boost and here they are. Buys nerds, my good friend Maple Trade, is still alive apparently. I can tell because he gave me 6,000 Satoshis and he says, Circle P strikes again. Syrup order followed by a soap order from the same user on Noster. Quite simple. I was zapped the amount of the order and a private message where to send the order. I am alive and well, low screen time in summer. Uh, it's good to hear from you, Maple Trade. It's one of those things that I probably shouldn't get all in a huff about when I don't hear from my friends, but sometimes it's like, sometimes I haven't heard from my friends in a while and, and I still haven't heard from them. And that's that's always concerning. Anyway, Dubrovko with a thousand says, for the past 27 years, my wife has been complaining about my not putting the cap back on the toothpaste. Last anniversary, I decided to change this bad habit and make my wife happy. For a week, I was diligent, always capping the toothpaste. I was expecting my wife to thank me, but she never did. Finally, yesterday, while taking her to dinner, she turned and looked at me and said, Why have you stopped brushing your teeth? <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Dubrovko with a thousand Satoshi says it could be worse. Uh, Monord with 755 says, get well, sir. I am well, thank you. God's death with 370 says, thank you, sir. How's your neck tube? Or I hope your neck tube feels better. Yes, God's death, it does. Thank you. Uh, God's death with a spelling correction gave me 370 sats more. And Pies with 100 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Ostrich.work. That's ostrich.work. First Noster native jobs board using classified NIP. Interesting. This is no bullshit Bitcoin, otherwise known as nobsbitcoin.com. Announcing ostrich work. It's the first Noster native job board using the new 3402 event kind detailed in the classifieds NIP. Jeff G wrote, it's still very early, but you can post jobs and browse through jobs. Lots more to come soon. Jobs classified. You might be wondering how these are the same. It's best to think of classifieds as anything being offered. This can be places to stay, stuff for sale, jobs, places to rent, personal ads, etc. And yes, I've got a few more projects in the space in mind. Thanks, Pablo F7Z, for the early feedback, of course, because Pablo is freaking everywhere. So it's a classified ad section. 
and it uses its own NIP on Nostra Protocol, as specifically the 30402 event kind. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, if you are if you are at least on Nostr and you have sent a text message or not a text message, if you have written a note on Nostr and sent it like good morning, that is an event type one. It's just text. There are many different types of events in Nostr. And this is a new one. 30402 is the classifieds section of your newspaper or Nostr paper or whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> and I think I will probably be inserting an ad for the Aspenwood cabin out there in southwest Colorado uh, when this thing gets a little bit more fleshed out. But right now you can go to Nostr or ostrich.work and find some Nostr jobs. But there's, again, like you said, there's more to come. If you think of like the classified section of a newspaper, there's a job section, but there's also used cars for sale. There's like, I don't know, I can sell my kid's bicycle in the classifieds. It's or lost dog. You got a lost dog that, that goes in the classifieds. I'm, that's the way we used to do it. And it looks like it might be coming back only in digital format. The Noster as a protocol is exploding in ways that I'm never going to be able to expect. All The only thing that I can expect is that there will be more. Thank God. Now, here's a first wave of Bitcoin grants from OpenSats. And this is from OpenSats.org forward slash blog written by Durjiji. <clears throat> the first wave of Bitcoin grants. The computer can be used as a tool to liberate and protect people rather than control them, as Hal Finney wrote so presciently 30 years ago. The goal of OpenSats is to help build the tools that Hal alluded to, tools that liberate and protect rather than systems that control and oppress. Many tools still have to be built. Many tools still need to be improved. However, the universe smiles on encryption, as Assange so aptly put it. We believe that Freedom Tech is what carries this smile forward, which is why we are delighted to announce grants for over a dozen projects in the Bitcoin and Lightning ecosystem. The following open source projects were selected by the Open Source Board for Funding. PayJoin Development Kit. Bolt 12 for LND. Splicing. Raspi Blitz. Label Base, BTC Pay Server, Zero Sync, Mutiny Wallet, Next Auth Lightning Provider, Cashew, LN Proxy, and Blixit Wallet. So there's the people that have received grants from the OpenSats.org. That's OpenSats.org. Um, Blixit and the Bolt 12 for LND. And of course, Cashew and BTC pay servers and splicing are my favorite parts about this. Uh, let's go in. Let's just read the splicing one because that, that's that been coming up a lot lately in other podcasts. So here's Dergigi's breakdown of splicing. It's very short. Splicing is the ability to resize lightning channels on the fly giving users of the lightning network many additional benefits that were not intuitively obvious at first. Splicing scales lightning by removing a fundamental limitation. Removing this limitation increases fungibility and lowers block space usage, an important step towards maturing the lightning network and enabling the onboarding of millions and ultimately billions of people. 
And again, it's the ability to resize a lightning channel without having to close the channel and reopen a new one. That's important. So you can splice more Satoshis into the channel, increasing the liquidity of that channel without having to close anything down. This is important because as more and more people start using the Lightning Network, more and more, for lack of a better term, well, actually more and more payment channels are going to start losing their liquidity because there's so much flowing in and flowing out that at any given time, you could find your channel liquidity completely on one side or the other side of the liquidity uh, balance beam, right? So this way enables you to increase the amount of Satoshis that are in that channel and you don't have to close anything down to do it, which means what? You don't have to pay any more fees. This is on, well, you'll probably have to pay a splicing fee, but it's not like you're doing an on-chain transaction when you close down a channel and then reopen a channel so that you can, you know, basically make your channel bigger. Splicing is important. Don't, don't, don't sleep on splicing. Not, not even a little bit. Okay. This is the Bitcoin bugle sarcasm. It's a, it's kind of funny. So everything that you hear next may or may not be true, but it may have the ring of truth. You never know. Ginger B. Stiffen writes it. Judge Annalisa Torres finally clarifies the real intent behind the Howey test. In a shocking instance of saying the quiet part out loud, Judge Annalisa Torres found that Ripple Lab sales of XRP tokens represented the illegal sale of unregistered securities when sold to sophisticated investors who should know better, but is totally not the illegal sale of unregistered securities when dumped on retail. In a decision that has left legal experts and crypto enthusiasts scratching their heads, Judge Torres has effectively turned the Howey test, a legal standard used to determine whether a transaction qualifies as an investment contract, into a paradoxical riddle. The ruling, issued July the 13th in the SEC versus Ripple Labs case, has thrown U.S. crypto token regulation into disarray. The case revolved around whether Ripple Labs' decade-long distribution of XRP tokens constituted the sales of securities. Judge Torres divided Ripple sales into three categories, institutional sales to hedge funds and the like, programmatic sales to retail directly on digital asset exchanges, and as a form of payment for services to employees and other service providers. In a move that has left many legal commentators baffled, Judge Torres found that institutional sales of XRP tokens by Ripple Labs were indeed the illegal sale of an unregistered security. However, she ruled that the programmatic sale of XRP tokens on a secondary market did not represent the illegal sale of unregistered securities. Brad Garlinghouse, the founder of Ripple, was quick to express his delight at the ruling, quote, I'm so happy that I've been personally vindicated. After all, dumping this crap on retail is a time-honored tradition on Wall Street. I'm basically the same as Lloyd Blankfine, he reportedly said. However, not everyone shares Garlinghouse's enthusiasm. Respect crypto lawyer <laughs> Brown Rudnick Preston Byrne uh, likened the ruling to saying, quote, it's illegal to sell a car to a car dealer, but it's perfectly fine to sell the same car to a teenager with a newly minted driver's license. The ruling has left the legal status of XRP in a state of quantum uncertainty, being both a security and not a security at the same time, depending on who it's sold to. This has led Byrne 
coining the term Schrodinger's shitcoin to describe the situation. Other areas of the so-called crypto community were ecstatic. One anonymous armchair legal analyst took time away from his hopium pipe to exclaim, quote, So as long as we make sure the Blackrocks, Goldmans, etc. of the world aren't hurt, we can scam as many normies as we want. In the more staid halls of law firms who represent crypto clients, enthusiasm was likewise high. Quote, billings will be off the chain, at least until this finally gets resolved on appeal, quipped one lawyer who wished to remain anonymous. However, it's important to note that Judge Torres did not rule on whether 99% of XRP transactions since 2017 were legal. She simply ruled that institutional sales of XRP were illegal, but that programmatic sales and other distributions of XRP were were not. The programmatic sales, which accounted for less than 1% of global XRP trading volume since 2017, were conducted via algorithms in blind bid-ask transactions where purchasers did not know who was selling. Of course, this nuance is much too deep for most of crypto Twitter, and even Coinbase reactivated XRP trading, completely missing that piece of the ruling. (laughs) The decision has also raised questions about the future of crypto token regulation in the U.S. Some fear that the ruling could lead to a new wave of token issuers seeking to exploit this legal gray area, while others hope that it will prompt Congress to step in and provide clear regulations. In the meantime, the crypto community is left to grapple, grapple with the implications of a ruling that seems to contradict the very principles of the Howey test. As the dust settles, one thing is clear. The debate over what constitutes a security in the world of crypto tokens is far from over. All right, Ginger makes some really good points, even if this is satire and, you know, and, and, and quote unquote, not a real piece of news. In my opinion, satire is really some of the, the very best commentary and, and really true commentary that you can have on a situation. There's nothing that she said that's not actually correct. In fact, it is the case that Judge Torres said that because you sold XRP to a hedge fund directly, that's an illegal security. But the very same token that you put on Coinbase and let Coinbase sell for you is not a security. Schrodinger shitcoin is probably the very best way to describe this. It's the same token. There, it's not two different kinds of tokens. XRP sold to BlackRock is an unregistered security. XRP sold to you via Coinbase is not. You, do you see where this is going? There's no way the SEC doesn't appeal this. And I think they've got a better than 50% chance of winning that on appeal that it is doesn't matter. It's an unregistered security. Because if they lose on appeal... The world is going to get duped into buying shitcoin after shitcoin after shitcoin because all I have to do is mint Davecoin and find a way to get it listed on Coinbase. And that's it. And that's where we were in 2017. As long as I don't sell it directly, as long as I don't sell it directly to another party from my hands to a third party's hands, then apparently it's not a security, even though that I, I'm not going to register it. So Dave coin, right? I sell it to BlackRock. It's an unregistered security and I'm, I'm in trouble, but I can sell it to you as long as I'm not the one selling it to you. As long as I give it over to Coinbase 
and make some kind of profit on their sale of it to you, then I've broken the chain of the Howey test. It's amazing how weak the Howey test has been for all these decades. It's been around for what, 80, 90 years, something like that. And yet all of a sudden, the guys over at Ripple Labs cracked the puzzle. This is how you sell unregistered securities to the unwitting retail noob on the street and basically ruin their life. And you won't get in trouble. That's what Ginger is pointing out here. As long as I can break that custodial chain and there's no way that the SEC can prove that I sold a single one of Dave coins to anybody and that all Dave coin sales were done by somebody else. And yet I hold in reserve a hundred thousand or a hundred million Dave coin and that price starts going up. Then I can sell my unregistered security to Coinbase and still break the chain of the Howey test. Do you see how absolutely insidious this is and how much damage this is going to cause? I told you on Friday, be prepared for alt season. We will probably have seen nothing like the quote unquote alt season that is going to be upon us. Do not be fooled. It's all shit. If it's not an unregistered security, it has no utility. If it has some utility whatsoever, that utility is to take your money in the real world that represents your real time on this planet and transfer it to somebody else's wallet. I can't help you if you don't listen to me. If you're not just buying Bitcoin, you're going to lose your money. I don't know how else to put it. Now, Bitcoin funds see the largest consecutive weekly buys since the year 2021 decrypt Andrew Asmakov. Digital asset investment products experienced $137 million of inflows over the past week, bringing the total inflows over the past four weeks to an impressive $742 million. This marks the most substantial run of inflows since the final quarter of 2021, according to European digital asset management firm CoinShares Weekly Report. Furthermore, trading volumes for crypto investment products continue to surpass the yearly average of $1.4 billion. CoinShares Weekly Reports provides a concise view of investment inflows and outflows in popular exchange-traded products, mutual funds, over-the-counter trust related to cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and shitcoin number one and other altcoins. Last week, the trading volumes reached $2.3 billion, highlighting the robust activity in the sector. As noted by James Butterfield, Head of research at CoinShares, these volumes also represent a larger proportion of total cryptocurrency trading volumes, accounting for 11% last week, which is significantly higher than the average of 2%. ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF saw the largest inflows at $109 million as the fund reached $1 billion in total assets under management. 
Amid last week's price surge, short Bitcoin investment products experienced their 12th consecutive week of outflows with a total of $3.2 million. I think maybe that means billion. I don't know. 3.2 seems light. Or 3.2 million seems pretty light, but whatever. This prolonged period of outflows has led to a significant decline in total assets under management for short Bitcoin products, plummeting from a peak of $198 million in April to just $55 million last week. At the same time, while shitcoin number one has also witnessed price appreciation, it has not been accompanied by inflows, the report notes. Nobody wants that shit. <clears throat> Last week, the industry's second largest cryptocurrency experienced outflows of $2 million, maintaining its status as the asset with the highest outflows year to date. On the other hand, altcoins like Solana, Polygon, and Litecoin saw minor inflows ranging from $0.3 million to 0.5. These trends highlight Bitcoin's continued dominance in the digital asset market with significant investor interest and inflows focused on the flagship cryptocurrency. Geographically, the vast majority of the overall $137 million of inflows uh, were concentrated in North America, with the U.S. witnessing inflows totaling $109 million and Canada seeing inflows of $28 million. Conversely, Europe saw minor outflows in digital asset investment products, suggesting a more cautious sentiment of potential profit-taking amongst investors in the region. However, Switzerland stood out as the exception, recording minor inflows into digital asset investment products, added the report. So, Bitcoin doing still doing well, even amid the fact that we got our BART, our BART flag, which is, if you're wondering what I mean, the when it when you see a price do a bart it's the bart simpson head it goes steep up one side kind of wiggles around at the top and then comes steep down the other side essentially to where it started from it's a bart it looks like bart simpson's head exactly like bart simpson's head so there was a whole bunch of stuff going on and we're now right back to where we started from and if you look at the chart in the past month it's just like this $30,000 range. And we're going to stay here apparently for 240 days because that's when, that's probably when we will figure out what the hell's going to happen with BlackRock's spot ETF. But we've got other fish to fry. Um, where are we at? Oops, sorry, didn't mean to pause so long there. Bitcoin Magazine, uh, BTC Casey. Geyser launches the fifth Bitcoin grant to empower educational Bitcoin communities. Geyser, a leading Bitcoin grant organization, has announced the launch of its fifth Bitcoin grant aimed at supporting educational initiatives and community-based programs focused on Bitcoin. The grant opens up opportunities for campaigns that promote and bolster Bitcoin schools and communities worldwide. Mick Marucci, CEO of Geyser emphasized the importance of Bitcoin for underserved populations, stating, quote, these are the people that would most benefit from Bitcoin, which can act as a shield. These are also those that are the least aware of Bitcoin. The grant seeks to amplify the efforts of Bitcoin communities that are emerging across the globe, offering knowledge, education, and tools to promote participation in the Bitcoin movement. To fund the grant, Geyser has raised one BTC thanks to generous donors and a partnership with Blink. The organization aims to distribute the proceeds to numerous projects that demonstrate impact, need, and proof of work. 
Applications for the grant are currently open and will be accepted until mid-August. A board will evaluate the projects and select the most deserving recipients. Geyser Grants stands apart from typical Bitcoin grants, which primarily focus on core developers. The organization aims to recognize and reward all Bitcoin creators for their contributions. Geyser Grants has already made a significant impact, contributing 2.2 BTC to over 100 projects centered around Bitcoin education, creative endeavors, and community building. The grants serve multiple purposes, including promoting Bitcoin awareness, encouraging contributions to the Bitcoin ecosystem, recognizing important work in the space, empowering creators globally, and fostering the growth of the Bitcoin creator ecosystem. To learn more about the grant or to apply, interested individuals can visit the Geyser Grants Round 5 page. And that is at geyser.fund, G-E-Y-S-E-R dot fund forward slash grants. So there you go. There you go. More grants coming out. People doing what needs to be done to move the space forward. This one gets us... Uh, to the end of the show, Cointelegraph, David Atley, FSB finalizes its recommendations for a global crypto framework. Mm, oh, joy. The Financial Stability Board has come up with a global regulatory framework for crypto. The guidelines recommended to the 20 leading economies of the world, known as the G20, are crafted upon the principle of same activity, same risk, same regulation. A public note and two separate guideline documents were made public on July the 17th. The document consists of two sets of recommendations, high-level recommendations for regulating crypto in general and revised high-level recommendations for a global stablecoin. Oh, God, it's a global CBDC. The latter means nothing more than any stablecoin that could be used more than, in more than one jurisdiction. The FSB states that crypto platforms must segregate clients' digital assets from their own funds and clearly separate functions to avoid conflict of interest, with regulators ensuring tight cross-border cooperation and oversight. The international body is also quite open about its appreciation of privacy as it demands local regulators make sure that there is no activity that may frustrate the identification of the responsible entity or affiliated entities pointing to decentralized finance protocols. One of the high-level recommendations states, quote, Authorities should have access to the data as necessary and appropriate appropriate to fulfill their regulatory supervisory and oversight mandates, end quote. As for so-called global stablecoins, the FSB emphasized that any stablecoin issuer should have one or more identifiable and responsible legal entities or individuals that it calls a governance body. It says issuers must hold reserve assets in one-to-one minimal proportion unless the issuer is subject to adequate prudential requirements equivalent to commercial bank standards. However, what is new is the potential obligation of global stablecoin issuers to obtain some kind of permit to operate in each jurisdiction. The guideline states, quote, Authorities should not permit the operation of a global stablecoin arrangement in their jurisdiction unless the global stablecoin arrangement meets all of the jurisdiction's regulatory, supervisory, and oversight requirements, including affirmative approval. In quote, the FSB will review the state of implementing its regulations worldwide by the end of 2025. So the Financial Stability Board or whatever is a completely 
criminal organization, it is not elected. You don't, and somehow or another, they're able to, I don't know, spread their mind virus around the G20 worlds of which most of my listeners are part of. It's not United States regulations that, uh, that do certain things. It's the FSB making these, oh, recommendations that are then ingested by the governments of the G20, and then we're forced to do them. I, I don't see how any of that shit's legal at all, but I'm that's why I don't run for office, because I'm probably a few brain cells short of being able to do that. But that's going to bring us to the end of the morning roundup. Let's start the week off right. Dad says, jokes, it's illegal to laugh out loud in Hawaii. You have to keep it to aloha. Yes, sir. That's a good one for Monday. All right. Uh, Alt season is upon us. And you're going to have to do everything that you can do to not listen to people like Udi Wertheimer and Eric Wall and the rest of the people that really just want to steal your money. Um, you know, if I were to say that in, in like if I was on CNBC, I'd automatically get sued, I, I guess. I don't know. But I just don't think very much of the people that are gathering around the corpse that was alt-season at the end of 2017-2018 because – People thought it was dead. That was the last alt season. Yeah, we've had a couple of minor bumps in, in altcoins, you know, since then, but nothing you've seen. If you haven't been in Bitcoin since, uh, if you just got into Bitcoin, let, let's say 2019, you, you, you don't, you've never seen an alt season. I wish I could protect your eyes from having to witness that, but it's coming. And you will you will witness yourself what that shit's like with homeless chicks in bikinis living under a bridge suddenly being the CEO of Shitcoin International. I'm not lying. Any of you out there that was listening to uh, Tone Vase and um, the One Vortex along with Mad Bitcoins back in the day? know exactly who the hell I'm talking about. Last week I was homeless. Now I'm the CEO of Shitcoin World. It was an actual thing. They were at a conference. I believe it was in Miami or San Diego. I can't remember which. It was Seaside somewhere. And they were interviewing Tone Vase and, and Vortex were interviewing this chick and it was just it was like nails on a chalkboard. Multiply that by a million and that's what the entire years of 2016, 2017, and 2018 were like. It was one cringe fest after another. And more people lost more money than I've seen in a very long time. And my fear is that it's coming back. Actually, it's not a fear. I know it's coming back. Because of the ruling of Annalisa or Judge Annalisa Torres, federal judge, Southern District of New York, when she said that XRP is a security and it's an unregistered security and not an unregistered security at the exact same time, what she did was open up the floodgates 
for millions of Americans, Canadians, Latin Americans, Europeans, Africans to lose their money. It's not to be forgiven. She should have known better. And she didn't. Because she didn't, the onus is upon you to not fall into the trap and to warn every single person that asks you about anything other than Bitcoin to tell them what the hell's going on. So gird your loins, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.